It doesn't slice. It doesn't dice. This fantastic laser drill can be yours. If you sacrifice your immortal soul and teleport to an alien realm. But wait, there's more! Blow up your laboratory now to receive this one-of-a-kind spidery lobstery implant for your back. And I'll even throw in a full set of over 20 guns. Our creepy and giant biomechanical heads are waiting for your call for the wonderful Axiom Verge selection tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. This time we will be discussing Axiom Verge, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask, uh, Adrian, how have you been doing? Very good, actually. I got my Diaz Capture card today. Hot dog. 3DS or regular? Regular DS. Nice. That's fine, because it was really cheap and it was the only one he was offering. All right. Glad to hear. Yourself, how are you doing? Just fine. All right. Getting ready to make some chess pie. Ch- chess pie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's when you take all the pieces from a chessboard, crush them up, and put them in a pie crust. The uh, the king is the best part. Yeah, uh, you get a small hat if you <laughs> got the king in your piece. <laughs> now, with us this time are, are two new faces. Nick, how are you doing? I'm good, and it's good that this new face, you can clearly see my new face. In in Skype, you're showing up as a zombie uh, guy. Doctor? It's, yeah. It's a robot. Oh. It's a detective robot. That's a problem that I have. I confuse zombies and robots. Well, a robot wearing a hat doesn't make a lot of sense, because a robot's head is already, like, you know, stuff on top of it. It's Well, there's a lot of detail into it. He's kind of a robot that that has the memories of a policeman. And he's a detective working on the apocalypse. It's Fallout 4. Oh, okay, so it's just RoboCop. Got it. <laughs> and his name's Nick. Yes, I'm, my name is also Nick. It's not just me liking him as a character because their names are Nick. But that's just there's a little bit of brownie points there. <laughs> it was meant to be. And uh, with us for the first time ever is the indie luchador himself. Please introduce yourself. Uh, I guess the best way to introduce myself is why the fuck would you invite me out of all people? Wait, am I allowed to say fuck? Yeah, you're, you can yes. you can say all the sailor words you like. Diaper I swear more than anyone else oh in this chat. <laughs> it, it, we'll have to see who can <laughs> So, Eric, do you have a favorite indie Metroidvania? Actually, the best Metroid game I've ever played is called Axiom Verge. Never heard of it. I, I do like that a lot, it turns out. But uh, um, there's one that a lot of people love and and like talking about, but it, it's actually kind of a crappy game, so I won't even bring it up, because fuck those guys. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what did you like so much about Axiom Verge? Oh, God. Um, the sense that you could actually be pulled into the world. Everything about it felt special. Everything about it felt like it was placed there for a reason. And with a game that actually feels like there's good reason behind everything in it, it means that somebody actually took the time to think about it. Not to mention the uh, one developer that made the music, art, 
uh, everything about it. It just you, you can't help but fall in love with something like that and really feel some kind of connection. He's a renaissance man. He, he wears a trench coat. Yeah. So, Nick, do you have a favorite indie Metroidvania? I usually do not play Metroidvanias, honestly, but this was a good proper experience into it, and I would say this is probably my favorite Metroidvania I have played. So why don't you play them? Well, not because of choice, but because when I was younger, I really had a limited selection to what I could get access to, mm. being that I, I didn't have a job for a while. And so this was a really good introduction to it for me, as well as... I would say it's about with looking at Castlevania and Metroid, this was much more of a Metroid than a Vania. Sure, I could see that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about the term Metroidvania. <laughs> I know we have our misgivings about the term, but uh, can we set them aside? And yourself, do you have a favorite Metroidvania? Uh, what's one that I've played? Oh, wait, is it? you didn't say indie that time. I meant to say... It's supposed to be indie, yeah. right? Because I knew, because well, you're supposed to say La Mulana. Yeah, I know La Mulana was the one I was gonna say. So it's indie, um, right? It's also not a Metroidvania in any sense of the word. It's just a regular adventure platformer. But uh, without getting into that, what I like about La Mulana so much is that, well, first of all, there's a heavy emphasis on a sort of survival-based excursion. So you always start from the same point. And so you constantly are trying to get deeper and deeper, essentially, into this temple. So when you say that, you mean, like, the only save point is up at the beginning of the dungeon? Yeah, I guess you could think of it as sort of like a roguelike, but uh, it's not really, because there's not any type of experience or items that you're trying to hold on to. It's just that because you're always starting at the same point, there's a lot of emphasis on efficient navigation, learning new paths, you really get a lot of benefit out of finding shortcuts because you're going to have to make your life last. And I also really like that a lot of the puzzles in the games in the game are um, sort of like riddles where they'll give you clues in different points, but it's not necessarily based on going to different places and hitting the right switches in the right order. It's about going to different places and finding the right statue and writing down the right thing about it that it gives it a neat extra level of gameplay that is more akin to what you'd see in a story-based adventure game yeah okay and adrian do you have much experience with indie metroidvanias no this is the only one i've played what's your favorite regular old non-indie metroidvania you mean the real ones (laughs) Well, either games from Metroid or Castlevania or any other series that might be considered Metroidvania. I haven't played the Castlevania ones, so to me it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up between Fusion and Super. Okay, sounds good. Axiom Verge has a ton of abilities for maneuvering through the environment. How do they change the way you interpret the world, and how are they balanced? So this time, I wanted to talk about the item arsenal in Axiom Verge. Because it is a a quote-unquote metroidvania, a big part of Axiom Verge is all the different items you can get, and there's 
quite a wide array, so I wanted to get a good idea of how they all fit together. So, Adrian, what is your favorite ability? And by ability, I mean something that occupies one of your buttons that is not the shoot button. I think the little drone thing I actually think is probably the coolest. Okay. How unique is the drone from the rest of your abilities? For one, it's the one thing that probably sets it the most apart from Metroid. Uh, A lot of things in it, you know, you'll find similar. Like the grapple beam is like straight out of Super Metroid. I think the game does a good job of staying away from Metroid's design space, except for the grapple beam. Yeah. But um, the one I think that really is the most unique is probably the drone. I mean, stuff like the phase walk is a bit more limited in use. I call it the phase walk, but it's the one where you just double tap and move through uh, one block wall. That's all it is. But um, the little drone that you shoot is a good like counterpart to the morph ball, but the best part is how you're able to shoot into high-off areas that you can't reach. So in some ways, it's almost like a way to extend your jump and be able to go to places you couldn't reach, minus all the abilities you would have as Trace. You don't just drop the drone where you are. You can launch it to some place. Yeah, and that opens a lot of neat tricks that you can use with it so you can find secrets, and I found a lot of them using that drone. So that's what I really like about it. It's also good for scouting ahead and killing enemies, especially those some of those bullshit zombies that just pop out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that's uh, pretty uniquely always useful because no matter what Trace can do, that's always going to extend your reach in some direction. Yeah. I guess maybe the only thing, I don't really think it's a problem, but you can totally cheese the game by um, abusing that drone. Because the fact of the matter is that you can send that thing out as many times as you like and kill everything ahead without any danger to trace. And even if it gets destroyed, you only have to wait for its health to regenerate before you can just shoot it and send it off again. Nonetheless, it doesn't have some of the navigational abilities of trace, so you're not going to be able to get to a lot of platforms or through a lot of walls with it. Right. So that's one way they limit it, but um, I still find that I can uh, use that a lot, but I just don't because I don't feel like it. If I am in a hard place, I'll do it maybe once to learn it. Mm -hmm. I could do it all the time if I wanted, but honestly, it just slows the game down so much. Yeah, it's not really fun to play as, so why would I want to use it? So, Adrian, let me ask, how often do you use the drone? I use it a lot, actually. Anytime there's a high-to-reach place that I can't reach with the standard high jump, or even with the grappling, or because there's no ceiling, I have nothing to grapple from, I shoot the drone into those high-off alcoves. A lot of times there's usually nothing there, but um, it's still useful for things like that. And also, whenever things get hard, like there's a bunch of enemies crowding around me because, and this is actually one of the minor issues I have with the game, is some of those tracking enemies, especially those big hopping ones or some of the flying ones, have a tendency to kind of like get stuck on you. So sometimes I would just uh, basically use an emergency and shoot out the drone because when you do that, uh, Trace protects himself with a little shield and then I can have the drone go off and kill them until it dies and then make a getaway if I need to, if too many enemies are crowding around me. So that's another... Uh, useful, maybe questionable technique with the drone that I take advantage of. And also just for scouting ahead in case, especially in that sky area where there's all the boulders and the little motorcycle dudes that I love to have them run off 
the cliffs by using the drone to bait them. That too. Yeah, so I use it a lot. It's very useful. The drone has applications both in trying to find where to go and in trying to blow shit up. Yeah, both offense and navigation. Yeah, I think the drone highlights one of the ways in which the game is more like Metroid. Uh, Metroid being an adventure platformer that's particularly concerned with exploration because Adrian's described a lot of ways that you can use the drone to survive combat or to clear a path for you. And a very similar ability to the drone from another similar game to Metroid is in Blaster Master. You can leave your tank and walk around as a little guy. And sometimes that's useful for getting in areas you couldn't get to in the tank. But it's fairly similar to the drone. The big difference being that when you die in that form, you still uh, lose a life. So because of that, Blaster Master feels a lot more concerned with being careful in all aspects of the action, whereas Axiom Verge, it doesn't matter if the drone dies because Axiom Verge is concerned with forcing you to use the drone to explore, and you don't need to worry about the action and play it safe. Right. Form fits function there because you treat the drone more as a scout because trace is the actual important thing. Yeah, exactly. It matches up a lot better. Drone's disposable. Right. I mean, you do see the little red health thing scatter when the drone dies and return to Trace. So I guess if you wanted some balancing measure, you could make it take a portion of his health that he sends off to survey with. Well, uh, I don't think you need a balancing measure. I think Axiom Verge doesn't need to or want to balance it in that way. And that uh, whether or not it's a conscious decision, it at least befits the drone not to have health because it wants the game wants you to explore with it. It wants you to be free to do whatever you want with it. And Eric, you were about to say something. <laughs> the drone for me um, was mainly just used for finding secrets. There's so many fucking secrets in that game, of course, you know, being a Metroidvania. Uh, I will stick to the term Metroidvania because saying side-scrolling, platforming, 2D, action-adventure game takes too goddamn long. So I'm sticking with Metroidvania on this one, and it's, it's a game where you use the drone mainly just to find all of the secrets that are involved. You find all sorts of different shit. Like, you have guns that you normally wouldn't find because of said drone. Or the drone can be used also to cheese the game, as was just talked about recently. Hence why I I drone. I think it's a cool thing, but at the same point in time, it's not going to deliver pizzas to me in a couple of years. (laughs) If I may speak about something an experience I had with the drone. Yeah. I accidentally used it and managed to actually discover more of the map before I was supposed to be able to get there. This yes. was there you go. I found the um the big room that can bring you from one side of the map all the way the map to the other. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did the same thing. I shot the drone in there and I found an enemy that like exploded and it's and it's had this spraying gas which killed me. And then it went off to, and it killed the drone. Then it went out and found me somehow, and then yeah, I couldn't it, escape it. It's those weird caterpillars with the bulbs on their back that shoots out like per- a swarm of purple flies. I don't know what it's doing. 
It was a but yeah, I, I did the same thing too. I shot the drone over there and found the transport area long before I was able to actually use it. Sounds like we all did that then. <laughs> it's interesting that we all had the frame set in mind of exploration. Yeah, yeah that uh, we all got the same cue from the game to do that. How long has everybody been playing video games here? Oh, jeez. Uh, I don't know, two decades? Uh, like a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> when I was born, I picked up a Game Boy. They, like, crush your hand because it was so when small? I was born. No, it fell on my face and it broke my nose, but, but I was where I lived. Yeah. <laughs> when I was born, I had a game controller in my hand that my mother said, Well, you're never going to amount to anything with these video games. And I said, you're right, Mom. <laughs> ah, good then ending. She, so you, then she beat me and then burnt me with her crack pipe. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't think the drone ever becomes replaced or useless. I'm about seven-tenths through the game, so... Yeah, I can confirm. That's all i got to say about that. So, Nick, do you have a favorite ability in Axiom Verge? I would say that my that the trench coat and the lab coat both are very favorites of mine. Not because of... Uh, the usefulness or how they um, can make you useful in battle. I thought it was a really good way that suddenly the world is how you view puzzles and act- and places changed entirely. It really helped me get a better sense of, oh, that's how I get past this. And now I could explore in certain specific ways. But they were able to smart enough, to, they were like able to plan ahead to make so you need a lab coat specifically to get through this way instead of being able to use this just through the could we just quickly explain what the lab coat and trench coat do? Yes, the, um, the trench coat allows you to, if you double tap against the wall, you will try to phase through it. It, goes, it allows you to pass through one block, one width. However, the lab coat allows you to do this both in air and allows you to do it two blocks, I believe. Yeah. So it's a, a wall that otherwise looks unpassable. And eventually you get one that puts you through three blocks. Well, I suspected as much, but that's a spoiler. You're welcome. Also, the cake is a lie in the end, uh, just to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Nick, how often do you find yourself using the coat? Well, I try to explore things that explore areas often, but... I really didn't get to use it. I, I didn't use it as much as I expected because I did try it on multiple walls to see if there was any secrets. Because really, there are some games that well, you'll go to the end of a wall, soon past it, and you find oh, there's a whole another area behind here. Yeah, it really did help me look at the whole levels a whole different way though, and I could appreciate that. Yeah, you know, a good ability in one of these kind of games will get you to reinterpret the layout of the world. And it's interesting how you might take a wall for granted as a solid wall, and then suddenly this ability asks you to reinterpret what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. It is worth noting that there are points where something looks like it's a, a really thick, like maybe six block wide wall, but only the first tile... Only, only the first column of blocks there is solid, and you can kind of phase into it, even though it looks completely solid. Did you have any experiences with that? I did, but I cannot clearly remember them at this moment, but it was a very big surprise when it happens, because sometimes you'll try to use it just to see, hey, is this a secret? 
And your exploration is rewarded. Yeah, you just need a sense of what looks fishy or suspicious, and you're not always right, I find. Yeah. Yeah. How much more useful is the trench coat than the lab coat? The trench coat is the one that lets you teleport in any direction, and the lab coat is the one where you can only teleport while you're standing. Okay. The I found it much more useful as there was a puzzle a while back that I was that I could was so certain I would be able to walk through. There was a wall that seemed like it'd be fine, but I could tell for some reason that there was a block that was just in the way. That either made me re- that made me realize either way that it would be something that allows me to go two for two blocks, one that allows me to go in the air and to the teleport, or something that allows me to place blocks. Yeah, that's interesting. That. Based on the abilities you had already gotten, you were able to sort of see upcoming situations, and even though you didn't have the ability you needed, you still could tell that you know your old moveset was going to expand. So something I find interesting about the lab kit to start with, along the lines you were just talking about, and what Nick was saying about expanding the way you look at the world, is that uh, it's not atypical in Metroid-type games, or even this game, for instance, to have some kind of block or door or indicator that there is going to be some ability that you're going to be able to interact with this thing. Like when you see a small path that Trace can't fit through, you can say, okay, well, at some point I'm going to get an ability where I can fit through this, and you can take note of that. So the lab coat, to start with, caught me a little off guard because one-block walls are not something I necessarily looked at and said, oh, I'm going to be able to interact with this. It's something that just blows into the rest of the environment. So when I did get the lab coat, I was more encouraged to go back and explore because I didn't have that existing list in my head of like the three locations where I need this thing. I actually had to re-examine the entire environment. So I think that goes to what Nick was saying about it. It actually presents a change in your perspective versus something that's just, uh, well, now I got the thing that can open red doors. So red doors are something I have to go check. That's not really exploration. Yeah, I have that same sentiment where the lab coat, its use is limited, but it did, it was pretty effective at changing how you see things because it's not something you expect. It's not something that's actually done in Metroid. Like think of other examples like those one-wall laser things that you usually use that for that usually cut you off because touching them doesn't actually hurt you. Um, you would think, oh, maybe I get a power-up that allows me to run through laser walls or you get literally one of the guns that allows you to hit buttons through the walls because it's not obstructed by the tiles. So, yeah, much like you, I was also caught off guard by the lab coat. And sometimes I would actually still forget about it where I would think, oh, I need to drill through this. Oh, I need... Oh, wait, no, I, I have to go through it. Yeah, it's also something that doesn't like really clearly signal you. You actually have to be paying attention to uh, notice those kind of walls. Yeah. Because those kinds of walls are built out of the rest of the stuff that... Yeah. Or the, the stuff that the rest of the environment is built out of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially some of the secrets I want to figure out with the some of the background tiles that are like darker covered, but actually look more like the ones that are not actually solid. And to give you an idea of what I mean by that, I I actually don't have this picture. But there's a picture where I found, uh, a, I actually drilled a passage inside of this blue room. And basically I could just jump through this sort of side vertical corridor and basically avoid all those uh, scorpion enemies and those little rolling ball enemies that jump around. 
Has any, any of you guys also found that? I believe I did. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think I know the room, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I gotta find it. Because to me, that was another a really cool moment exactly. in that game. Oh, good. Thank God. Yeah, that game is, you know, once you start really exploring everything and then just, like, figuring out how you can actually break the game and then realizing the game wants you to break it, it you start finding all sorts of cool little shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yourself, do you have a second favorite ability? <laughs> I, now you're trying to be clever, but the uh, <laughs> no, no is the real answer. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, if I had to talk about one, I'd say the laser drill. So how unique is it from the rest of your abilities? The laser drill is sort of an in-between because it's a weapon and it's also an ability. So the drone does that a little bit. Uh, in the sense that the drone itself can attack, but it's not quite the same. The laser drill is just a sort of continuous attack that goes a couple character lengths in front of you and that you can aim in multiple directions the same way you aim your shot, uh, and you can just hold it out. And it also will break through certain types of walls. So it's specific in its use for breaking through walls, at least as far as I've played, there's nothing else that can break through those particular types of blocks. There's also at least one enemy it can damage that your weapons can't? Yeah, there there's uh, turtles, sand turtles and uh, Kerr that it can damage. I mean, I think the most interesting aspect of it is what I said, it's used for exploration and combat. Early on, it's used for exploration in the same way as we were describing about the lab coat, where sometimes you just uh, want to check suspicious-looking walls. My experience with the laser drill is that it wasn't particularly useful for that. It was pretty rare for me to find breakable blocks, so I more or less gave up on checking walls with it. But it was still useful for combat because you can hold it out continuously and you can jump and aim with it. So it's a bit better when you're moving to use sometimes, but it also has a short range, which kind of balances it against the weapons. And early on, it's also wider than your guns, uh, so it can be a little bit easier to aim. So I found myself using it a lot towards the beginning of the game, particularly when I only had two other guns. By the time I got the drone and the wall run and the grapple beam, I had almost entirely stopped using the laser drill. And the only times I ever broke it out were when there were malls, walls that were clearly marked as being susceptible to it. Does your drill's damage stay competitive with your guns? I don't think it upgrades at the same rate. Uh, I think it does. You know, I, I, know I never a... took notice. I never took notice of whether there's uh, weapon nodes or whatever increase its power. But like I said, I had kind of stopped using it, especially because you get some better guns. I mean, by the time you have the uh, like fake wave beam, I thought it wasn't that useful anymore. Or even the electric gun. But then the electric gun... Mm-hmm. See, it's nice because I guess the other thing is you can have it equipped at the same time as a gun. You can equip the normal gun to have long range and then switch between that and the laser drill without ever breaking out your menu. Uh, so that probably is another reason that I relied on it, versus if you have the electric gun equipped, that's just doubling up on the same thing. Two abilities that do the same thing, so not as useful. 
I should also mention, you made the comment that it's remarkable that it's useful both in exploration and combat, but um, the drone does that, and I hope this isn't too big a spoiler, but the game finds a way to use the coat in combat. Well, yeah, I mentioned that the drone did it, but like I said, the drone does not incorporate into combat in the same way because you're divorced from all your other abilities. I see, yeah. I kind of wanted to back yourself up on the drill's effectiveness in combat because of that electric thing, for me, it was the exact same thing that I found overlapped with it because it was a very short-range, heavy damage weapon. In fact, I think it's actually a bit longer in reach and even wider, and it also went through blocks so it wouldn't be obstructed by the platforms. So if I wanted to hit those scorpion things or those plants that shoot the little sperm things... The drill goes through blocks? No, the drill doesn't, but the electric thing, the green oh. electric gun does. I see. Okay, I so, misunderstood. So that's that's when I saw a weapon overlap enough of the drill's function that uh, I found it more useful and I didn't use the drill as much. The only one disadvantage to the electric thing versus the drill is, aside from the enemies that can only be hurt by the drill, is the rate of fire of the electric thing. Like, if an, en- if an enemy needs multiple hits... Uh, and the rate of fire of the electric, if they're so close that the rate of fire of the electric drill is spaced out so that they can still hit you, you know, that's the only drawback. Whereas, you know, the drill is continuous. If they're in front of you, they're going to get hit multiple times a second. Whereas there's that brief pause, uh, actually like half a second with the electrocutor. Well, on just a one-to-one basis, you're right. But as I said before, you can equip the drill simultaneously with yeah. another weapon. So yeah. the electric gun is lacking in that capacity as well. Mm-hmm. And last, but certainly not least, Eric, do you have a favorite ability? Yeah, gimmick names, like yourself, is uh, a pretty good ability. <laughs> I, I like gimmick names. But other than that, I, I mean, um, uh, shit, what's that, the beam called? Uh, the Disruptor beam. Adjust Disruptor. I, I, yeah, there you go. It's, it's been a while since I, I played the game. I played the elevating shit out of it, 100%ed it on the PlayStation 4, and haven't played it since, because, you know, you 100% something, you're done. Uh, until somebody makes the uh, Metroid mod for it on PC, I will play it again. But uh, I, I loved that beam, because it was one of those things where you come into the game, and I, I followed the game really closely. So I knew that, you know, I wasn't actually seeing anything wrong. Nothing was actually glitched out in the game where something was actually broken. What I realized was there's something else going on here, and it's going to be up to me to figure out how to get through there. And figuring out that the disruptor not beam, because that's the wrong thing to call it, I guess, that was the right way to go about figuring out how to get through secret walls. And... As you're playing the game, after it's you know pretty much over, you start holding down that beam to find secret areas. So that holding ended up being my way to find even more shit in the game after I had completed. I, I, I loved holding it down. I loved the fact that it changed what would happen with enemies when you used it on them. If I needed health, there were some enemies I could use it on. And instead of spawning out spores that could kill me, instead they spawned out health that could 
Yeah. Well, do the opposite of kill me. Which, <laughs> yeah, which turns I saw out that too. It, it's so nice to have something like that because Axiom Verge can be a really tough game. It was the first game I ever streamed, and you would walk through it, or sorry, I would walk through it because I don't want to say you because people are think will think I'm talking about yourself here. Uh, <laughs> and I realize this is another one I of those podcasts where I'm the only one that has a handle. This is not my fault. This is because everyone refuses to call me by my real name. <clears throat> What's your real name? Greg. It's Greg, Greg, which is the same as Golem's Greg. real name. <laughs> <laughs> no, Golem's name. If it makes you feel better, everybody's name is Greg. <laughs> so, Eric, you were talking about streaming it? Yeah, I, I streamed it. People got really bored when streaming it, when I was streaming it, and they'd be like, wow, this just seems really boring. And, and then you look at them and you tell them, hey, you know what? You should uh, buy this game for you, not yourself. You should buy this game for you. <laughs> yeah, please and don't buy instead, it. And then, you know, play it. And don't buy it for Derek U. You know, he made Splunk. He's got all kinds of money. <laughs> But when you actually sit down and play it, you realize that there's a lot to it, and it's a heavily involved game. And I think that that's some of the most fun that you get to actually have with it, is exploring, and that beam ends up being the big exploratory thing. At the end, that is. I guess to help you out there, when people are watching someone else playing, they're not the ones having to keep mental notes on what they've passed and what they might need to come back to. It's like someone watching someone else playing Resident Evil and they're not keeping track of all the rooms they've been to and all the, all the locks that are going on and what they might need to come back to later and how they might need to pass their way through the game. They don't have to consider that when they're watching you play, so all they see is like a, uh, you know, a run-and-gun. That's so, a funny example because Resident Evil is the only game I've enjoyed watching be streamed yeah. because I hate taking all those notes about keys and stuff myself. <laughs> Actually, uh, I've always had a really heavily involved stream, so they actually did enjoy taking note of all these things, and they were better at taking note than I was. So, to me, that that was a really fucking cool and interesting thing. Is me a name that's taken on here as well, by any chance? <laughs> no, not yet. So, Eric, it sounds like a large part of the appeal with the Disruptor Beam was how it took graphics that look like they're glitching out and now they're a puzzle element. Exactly. It, it, it added a whole new layer yeah. to the game. And call it a puzzle. That's kind of one of the best things about indies. Like having even more layers to what some people that are on the outside of indie games, you know, consider to be a small time game. Like it adds a whole new dynamic to it. So you get even more hours of gameplay, even if they're technically artificially put in hours. Glitching also comes up with the teleportation move, where Trace himself and some of the surrounding graphics look like they're flipping out before you pass through a wall. When you, when you use the lab coat, you see those same weird little white funky symbols going on in the top right of the screen as when you're using the address disruptor. Mm. So one other thing about the Disruptor was that uh, it has that same element of parallel use that the laser drill does, uh, where you can 
just switch back and forth from it and your weapons really easily. So it was the kind of thing that I, because of that, used a lot more. Yeah. The fact that the Atris Disruptor works on enemies actually makes it effective in combat, even if it isn't for dealing direct damage. As Eric mentioned, some of the enemies you can turn into healing stations with that thing. Some enemies slow down, so those really hyperactive ghouls, zombies, whatever the hell you want to call them, you can slow them down. Those plants that shoot the blue spores that kind of remind me of those things from Super Mario World, uh, you can slow those down too with the address Disruptor. And some secrets even use, involve the address Disruptor. I don't know if anyone else found this, but there was one really weird effect where by changing one of these green flying up and down dudes, I affected all of them within the area. And then when I blew one of them up, I blew all of them up, and that's how I was able to access the secret. There's also, like, you can turn enemies into enemies that will break walls and stuff. Yeah. And especially the part with the lasers, where you change them from red lasers to uh, friendly blue lasers that even attack (laughs) other enemies. Yeah, that's one of the more useful ones. One ability that stuck out to me was the grapple beam, in that it pretty quickly becomes replaced by some of your other abilities, and it hits enemies, but it's not useful in combat in any way that I could tell. So the grapple beam seems like an outlier, uh, and that is not very useful. It's also one of the ones that's just clearly barred from other games. I mean, not that grapple beam is such a, a unique idea that there's any one game it's most strongly associated with anymore, but... It certainly comes across as less unique than the other ones we've described so far. Yeah, so first I want to just say that I actually do think the grapple beam is useful, but strictly for navigation. I've never used it really to hit enemies with, and that's mainly because it defaults to shooting diagonally up, which is something that I already have a ton of guns that outreach it for going in that direction, and it's not particularly powerful either. So I don't really use the grappling hook for hitting or stunning enemies or doing anything like that. But um, it's still good for, you know, swinging, swinging around and reaching high places that the normal jump can't and that you don't want to just send the drone off to, that, but you need to go there yourself. It's still good for that. All right. The one thing I do find... And in all fairness, it feels really good to grapple around. Actually, yeah. I mean, it has a nice sense of momentum, I guess. Oh, I was about to say it doesn't have momentum. No, it doesn't have momentum. It feels terrible. <laughs> I found it to be so finicky because it, it, he launches off at a fixed angle. So one, that re- kind of throws me off. And the fact that he doesn't carry much momentum and he moves in a fixed arc. And there's another one. Oh, yeah. His sprite, like, offsets lower than when he initially launched. And that one really fucks me up. So where it, the tra- trajectory doesn't even line up with where his sprite was at when he lets go of the grapple. So that one, what the hell? The other thing is the grapple itself actually has to physically move and attach to something, and I swear the grab box on that thing is smaller than it actually looks because I played it back and looked at it like clearly go through some of those tiles and just not grab it. So that was one thing that me because I, in the boss room, one of the boss rooms before you get it where it's really huge and has all those pillars in the air, the one where you fight the giant scorpion, there's a door that comes from the ceiling that I think, oh, I can just grapple across, but it's so hard to get through that. It's because it keeps like going through some of the tiles. Some of the finickier aspects of the grapple beam is the only thing I don't find useful. But the one thing I do have to commend it for so far is that it feels a lot more useful than it did in Super Metroid. 
And in fact, it doesn't even appear at all in Metroid Fusion. And that's because one major difference is that, unless, Golan, don't you dare spoil this for me, there's no space jump. Oh, I thought you were going to say because there's no explicit blocks for it. There's no space jump. That's one major difference, and the fact that there's no space jump. So those high-off areas, if you can't get reach it with your high jump, your default high jump, then the grapple is the only other way you go, and that's when you look at the platform and see, okay, what can I grapple off of? And to me, that is something Axiom Verb does that Super Metroid actually doesn't do. All right. Axiom Verge also offers a ton of guns. Each one shoots in a unique way. How did we assess such a huge roster, and how did we pick one to use? Eric, do you have a favorite gun? I don't know what my favorite gun would be from Axiom Verge, to be completely honest with you. Basically, as much as I liked the other abilities in the game, the guns never really mattered to me as much. Like, those were more just for function and uh, killing things. Like, I, I liked having what was essentially a mace that I could whip around that comes out of my gun and all sorts of things like that, which, you know, kind of made it more Castlevania than Metroid. But uh, I don't think I really ever had a favorite gun. When you say it's more Castlevania than Metroid, well, how do you mean that, actually? Just the the fact that, it, you know, with that one gun, it made it more melee-based, because you were in close range with said weapon. I don't even remember what it was called. It's been so long since I've played this game at this point. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I but guess I, I, what we I, I think there's is... a lot of cool fucking guns. Yeah, there's a, a really wide array. So, Eric, it sounds like you got use out of a a wide array of guns and didn't really find particular use with any one of them? No, because your default gun is better than most of the guns in the game. Like, sure, the shotgun's cool when you first get it, because it's the first gun that you really get. But your first gun, you keep on upgrading by finding different things in the game to upgrade it. Like, the size of your bullets and all this other kind of stuff. So it ends up being the best gun in the game. And all in all, it's an incredibly uninteresting gun. Especially, you know, when you play a lot of action games or... You know, I played Axiom Verge, but I already had Enter the Gungeon, and uh, I've also played Borderlands, and I've experienced much better, more interesting guns in video games. Axiom Verge's strong suit was not guns. I thought the upgrades applied to all your guns. Yeah, they do. Nonetheless... I was going to say they might. Nonetheless, I don't totally disagree with Eric. I... I haven't beaten the game, and I only have, like, six guns, so I'm probably talking from a really limited subset. But I agree with the idea that regardless of the multiplicity of the guns, the first one is particularly useful just because it's long-range and has a high firing rate, and because Axiom Verge tends to have largish rooms and smallish enemies, it's useful to have something that shoots long and shoots fast. But what you really want is... Yeah, something that can just hit things from far away pretty reliably. And so I ended up gravitating towards it a lot, at least among the guns that I got. Okay, you make a compelling argument. 
And it's not like, actually, and on the subject of damage, although I guess we'll get to this more as we talk about more of the guns, I didn't notice, at least in the ones I have, a big damage difference. So the fast firing rate was kind of, that uh, ended up being more important. My trouble with that gun was that I needed more coverage. With some of the guns, like a, a, some of the triple shot guns, you're able to shoot around ledges that you can't with just a straight shot, and that's useful just for cheesing enemies out. The guns kind of divide into two subsets. There's like my default gun that I'm going to stick with most of the time, and then the gun that I use in weird situations like what you're describing when there's something around a corner or something. Okay. So yeah, it's not it's not universally useful, but I don't think any of the guns are. The problem with the guns is they never really remain useful. It, it's the shotgun that's useful in the beginning, and a gun that uh, bounces at one point in time that are useful for opening some doors. Other than that, the guns didn't seem to be useful for anything else except for solving puzzles. I kind of like that though. It was nice that. You constantly get new guns, and it changes how you shoot stuff a little bit. I'm with you on that, wholeheartedly. All right, it's good to have your whole heart. Nick, did you have a favorite gun? I don't think I had a favorite, but I liked each of the different guns and how they could dynamically change things. But I didn't stop. I didn't only use the main gun. There was some. I can't remember the exact guns I used, but I did actually regulate between them, so they have much better. Well, better area that I could cover. So what's one gun in particular that wasn't your main gun that you used? That one that lets you shoot off a large amount at once, and they bounce off the walls? That's just a flash of shot. Yeah, I think that's a ref- the reflector, right? You get a high firing rate and the bullets are kind of chunky? Well, it's, no, I was talking about one that it literally, the, all the bullets are shot out at one second, low, ref- low firing rate. Oh, the the green one. Yeah, I didn't like that, actually. I really didn't feel like I could get enough bullets out or aim for what I wanted. I feel like that it really also, the design of the weapon allowed me to not know exactly where my shots would land. So while the reflecting would be good in some ways where, like, oh no, there's a giant swarm, I'll shoot and hopefully I'll get a ton of them, I would probably be best to just fire a bunch of shots that I know were going to land. That gun is interesting in particular in that you can just sit still and hammer the shot button, and you can watch as the lasers trace a slightly different path each time. I think it might switch between two different paths it goes through, or maybe three. So when I used it, because of the weird and winding path those lasers take, you can hit some enemies from some pretty awkward places, but because they don't always trace the same path, you might have to go through a few shots before you actually hit the enemy. And how unique would you say was that gun amongst all the guns in the game? I thought it was very unique in style, as I hadn't really used any guns close to that except for in games like Ratchet and Clank. They're, they've always got some weird weapons that you've got to love. <laughs> so when you say it's it's unique, you mean because of its wide range? or Because I would say that not only the long range, but because of the way that the shot's sort of spiderwebbed out suddenly. And it was a long, sudden shot. Yeah, okay. If your shot was going to land, you knew it would land right as soon as you shot the trigger. Pulled the trigger. Not shot the trigger. <laughs> That's some Enter the Gungeon talk there. It would add for a different blade. Uh, so, 
Something to add on to uh, what Nick is describing, and I think the comparison to Ratchet and Clank fits with my association here, is that the guns in this game sometimes feel like they're trying to be different for the sake of being different. Like, because there's a large arsenal and because they don't want to just take all of Metroid's weapons or Contra's weapons or all the stuff you're used to, they're all, like, slightly weird. Like... There's the what I call fake wave beam, which is that blue shot that shoots out perpendicular shots at a fixed interval. And there's the like really short wave or short range uh, lightning gun and the mine gun or whatever, that purple one you get towards the beginning that you can detonate in midair. And they're like weird and because they're a little bit weird, they always end up being like not quite useful. They're just, um, I feel like I always choose the weapon that's closest to what I need for a situation, but it's never quite one that actually matches with the situation. Like someone was describing earlier about using the lightning gun to try and shoot through surfaces to hit stuff. Uh, That just feels like the kind of manipulation that I'm not using the gun exactly in the way it was intended, but it's the best I can do. I don't think that's necessarily a bad or good thing. I just think it is the sense I get from the weapons, like that sense of being different for the sake of being different. I did want to add, not related to what you said, but Nick, the green laser thing is pretty unique, and the only other game I can think of with a similar laser spread is Darius 2, where by the end of the game, you have this huge laser spread and some of them shoot diagonally behind you, and some of them splinter down and then to the right, and it gets some pretty wacky and weird coverage of the screen, much like the laser gun here. R-Type 3 has a reflecting laser that I find to be particularly annoying to use. The, like, shotgun on the third type? Uh, You know, I can't remember which it's associated with. Okay. You know, I can't remember with which it's associated, but... um... It's not that crazy. It's not like it shoots out a million lasers. It just shoots out two. But having to use walls when you're moving a lot vertically makes reflection more difficult. Yeah, okay. Yourself, do you have a favorite gun? The uh, regular like reflector gun, the yellow one that shoots spinny things, that's pretty useful. Uh, or I found that to be pretty useful because... And a pretty good replacement for the default gun because uh, it has... It doesn't have as long a range. It doesn't have infinite range, but it has a pretty uh, decent range uh, such that on a single screen you can still hit most stuff. And it has a fast firing rate, a widish projectile. And because it bounces, you can do that thing. Like I was talking about trying to make stuff uh, work in situations or just trying to find the best thing that works. There's a lot of flexibility to using the reflector gun because you can you know, shoot at the wall or shoot at the floor or the ceiling because you can aim in eight directions. Uh, so I can tend to get it to work uh, for almost any situation I need with just a little bit of tweaking to my position and aim. Once I got that, I, I mean, I'm not that... I'm only like an hour past where I got that, but I haven't really used anything else since. Yeah, I found it pretty useful. So let me talk about the lightning gun, which is not the short-range gun, but you eventually get a Ghostbusters laser beam that you can hold down the button, and 
you'll shoot out a stream of lightning that homes onto enemies and deals consistent damage. Oh, so it's uh, Alexis or whatever, Dragoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, game? it's Alicia Dragoon. Alicia Dragoon? Yeah, Alexis Dragoon, whatever. <laughs> That's her sister. Um, so it's useful because I don't have to think about aiming at enemies as much, and also because no matter what cockamamie angle I need, that gun will do it because it always tracks the enemy. So it's a lot easier to take cover using that lightning gun, and it's good that it comes at the end of the game because I never want to use anything else. Yeah, actually another game I played that has a similar gun is Thexter, which I believe is related oh. to Alicia Dragoon. And it works really well, and I think it Thexter is also like a maze-type game, and I think it generally works when you're trying to... Yeah, when you're dealing with like weird environments and stuff. Because you still have to get close enough and get a line on an enemy to aim at them for the first time. So that could that still forces you to progress through enemies in order. Like, uh, you can't just run through the game holding the button. But then once you get your lock on, it allows you to focus on defense. So I don't know how exactly the same it is in Axiom Verge, but I thought it was cool there. Okay. Adrian, can I ask you to describe the short-range lightning gun? Oh, yeah, the green electrocutor one. Yeah, that I mentioned before. All right, what about it? How unique is it from the rest of the guns? Well, to be perfectly honest, um, once I started getting a bunch of more longer-range guns and ones that were also as wide, like the reflector, it started losing differentiation. But the one major property of that gun is actually that the fact that you can hit things through the tiles. Almost every other gun is going to be obstructed by the environment except that one. That is still the one major advantage that it has over every other gun, which is why occasionally I will still switch to that one. The Nova, on the other hand, I quickly fell out of use, and I almost never use that thing anymore. So which one is the Nova? The Nova is the one that you shoot and you remotely detonate it. Oh, that's right. You know, the Nova's a little weird in that it's the only gun that's used to solve a puzzle. You use it to hit the switches. Yeah, I wouldn't call that a puzzle. Same thing with it's that and the electrocutor are both required because of how they can hit switches in ways that you couldn't normally access them. The electrocutor is required for that? I guess I just don't remember that early. I thought it was because you get it from when you meet that first robot hit. I forgot her name already. Uh, that's where you Elsa get Nova. it. Elsa Yeah, Elsa Nova. Like, I think it's right there where she is. I'm pretty sure he's right that there is something you have to do with it. Okay. Yeah. But still, uh, a large majority of the guns are totally irrelevant to hitting switches and are just used for killing stuff. Yeah, the the Nova and the uh, Electrocutor. I forgot its name. <laughs> this is really bothering me, but I'm just calling it the Electrocutor. Uh, they're both unique in that you actually need them to you know, hit switches and actually continue through the game. Um, but otherwise... The Nova, it's actually surprising that I found that gun as useless as it was because you think something that you can detonate remotely uh, would be more useful, but the one problem is the fact that, one, it doesn't do as much damage as you think it would considering its slow rate of fire. And I just find that other guns can cover that the range that it can. So the bifurcating laser, the the blue one that splits off, I forgot what that one was called. The fake wave beam. Yeah, the fake wave, yeah, fake wave beam. Um, that one can also cover a similar range. Not quite exact, but um, yeah, that's another gun that somewhat overlaps with it. 
which is why, again, I just never used it. And because of its low rate of fire, um, that's another thing that put it below those other guns. Yeah, the it, low firing rate, or the low travel rate, really seems to be there specifically for the purpose that when you're using it, you have to detonate it at a specific time to hit something, so you want to be able to aim it easily. But that doesn't work out in combat when things are actually moving really fast, and by yeah. the time you try to aim at something, it's moved out of the way. Yeah. There's also the fact that because you're watching this slow bullet plot along the screen until you can mm-hmm. detonate it, the pace of combat is slowed considerably as compared to a regular gun where you can just shoot the bullet and then you know you still focus on trace after you shoot the bullet. Yeah. The thing is that even the thing that you think it's good for, which is like picking off enemies from a safe distance so you don't have to deal with it, like say, say there's an enemy on top of a, a platform off to your right. If you shot straight up, you wouldn't hit it. So what it's able to do is it can travel up and then hit off a little to the right. So say like an upside down L, like that's the range the Nova can reach. But the thing is like I could just move a little bit to the left and then shoot diagonally upright with the bifurcator and still cover mostly that same range and hit that same enemy that I wanted to hit up there from a safe distance. Yeah. Okay. So that's a gun that pretty quickly becomes replaced or useless. Eric, if you were Trace, what would you eat? If I were Trace, what? What would you eat on on the alien world? The giant wasp look kind of meaty. Like, yeah. So I guess I would eat the giant wasp. Uh, also, it would probably have like anti-venom to it, in a way. Mm. I, I think that's how that works, I, yeah. I feel pretty safe in saying that. When you eat someone, you get their powers. Yeah, so I would eat the giant wasp. Nick, if you were Trace, what would you eat? My sideburns. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> Talk about your shaggy pie, dude. <laughs> shaggy pie. That's, um, if I were Trace, that's what I would eat. All the shaggy pie. Oh, God. All right. Um, Adrian, if you were Trace, what would you eat? I don't know. Bubbles. <laughs> Bubbles? <laughs> okay. And yourself, if you were Trace, what would you eat? Uh, yeah, it's not a really good question. Uh, I would eat chess pie if I made it on the alien world. Okay. I have a question. Yes. If you were in that alien world, would you kiss one of the giant lady heads? If I kissed one, I think they would eat me. <laughs> I don't th- yeah, imagine that nice. kiss going Would well. you like that? Oh, wait. Sorry. Spoiler alert. I didn't hear it, I so didn't hear you. don't say anything. I didn't hear a spoiler. Oh, you guys are so lucky. You guys are so lucky. All right, Eric, any final words? Is there anything you would like to share with us? Nah, I don't know. I mean, I, I technically I could, but uh, I don't know. Like, part of me feels like I probably should, and then, you know, it's one of those Well, Eric, things. let me ask, do you have a Twitter? I, I do have a Twitter. How'd you know? Can you, can you share with us the handle? <laughs> Oh, I can share with you anything that starts with hand. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's at Indie Luchador. <laughs> you can find that at, uh, at uh, you know, deathskidmarks.com is where you can really find that. Uh, see what I did there? Okay. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you can go to deathskidmarks.com. Go buy that game. Uh, turns out it, it won a couple of different awards. Uh, good game is good, apparently. Uh, also, check out Working Man Games for a game called Death State. Great game. Alright, I'll have to take a look. Adrian, any final words? Axiom Verge is uh, distinct enough from... It does a lot to set up itself apart from Metroid while still... I don't know how to say it. While still following its core design, I, I think, is a good way to put it. Okay. Nick, do you have any final words? I have a replica of one of the heads from the game. You want to see it? <laughs> what? Do you, can I activate my camera? This is going to translate poorly on a podcast, but can I activate my camera? Uh, sure. Whoa. Wow. It's the actual head. And it's yep. missing its lower jaw. It's kind of creepy. Yep. Holy shit. Which one is that? Nick, you're, you're a handsome man. I want you to That's know the this. baby one. I already I know, know why. I only remember beard. Ophelia. This one, I'm pretty sure, is the dead one, but there's no mouth. The dead one. Want to hear a spoiler alert about it being dead? No, I, it's I not really, really dead. It's a chicken. The cake is a lie. <laughs> Yourself, any final words? I, I'm gonna have a really hard time finishing Axiom Verge. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sorry to hear. Uh, thank you all for joining me. All music in this podcast is from Axiom Verge. I'll leave you with this final thought. We talked about the usefulness of each item, but we didn't give much thought to how they complemented one another. Does the drone feel like it fits in the same game as the lab coat or the laser drill? Does it even matter how much items complement each other, so long as the levels are designed around them? Would a Metroid item like the speed booster or the screw attack work alongside Axiom Verge's items? Why or why not? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. Cognition for listeners of the Commune podcast can be described as a sub-algorithm whose behavior is to perceive properties of its parent algorithm. If you have perceived any algorithm as reality while enjoying the Commune podcast, please disengage immediately. <laughs>